Good morning. Uh, it is good to be with you again this morning. Uh, first couple Sundays in January, I had the opportunity to be with you. It's a little warmer today inside the sanctuary than it was on those two Sundays. Uh, but it is good to be with you uh, again this morning as we look at a at a, a heavy, a very heavy text. I'll admit that up front. Uh, Psalm eighty-eight, as we're about to see, is a, is no uh, no easy sledding. Uh, you can uh, certainly open your Bibles there if, if, uh, if you have a Bible with you. Uh, it, I'm sure it will be projected here on the screen in a moment. Uh, most of you have felt despair at some point uh, in your life. Despair, the dictionary says that despair is to be overcome by a sense of defeat. Okay, to be overcome by a sense of of defeat. Despair is the time in your life when you lose hope, when when you wonder, uh, you know, is anything ever going to go well for me? You you doubt seriously that anything will ever go well for you again when you're feeling and overcome by that sense of defeat, by despair. Hanging in an office somewhere, I'm sure you've seen those, uh, those you know, motivational posters. I think you maybe know what I'm talking about. It'd be some sort of a serene picture. Uh, there'll be a word, and then underneath that word, there'll be a, a phrase of some sort to, to inspire, to motivate. Something like, say, excellence. All right? There's one, one for excellence. I think it's a person running through a finish line, and it'll say, it'll say uh, some excel because they are destined to Others excel because they are determined to. Okay, you've seen those posters. If you ever watched the sitcom uh, the, the Office, I'm sure there was one hanging in the Dunder Mifflin office uh, somewhere. But the cynical among us, those of you with a, a dry sense of humor, maybe have heard of the, the, um, the uh, company Despair Incorporated. Despair Incorporated creates kind of the, the kind of anti-motivational poster for, as they say, pessimists, underachievers, and the chronically unsuccessful. Well, they have a poster for despair. And, and dis, the, the poster for despair is this, uh, this setting sun, the last vestiges of light, uh, you know, in the picture. And it says, despair. And then underneath it says, it's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. Uh, you know, and w- we can laugh about something like that, uh, uh, but despair, despair is to be overcome by a sense of defeat. And when despair affects your faith, despair leaves you feeling alone. It leaves you feeling maybe separated from God. It leaves you asking the question, where is God? Where is God? At some point in your life, I'm sure you felt this way. You felt some sense of despair. Maybe it was a relationship that ended that you thought would last forever. Maybe it's health that fails you, even at a young age. Maybe it's failure in something that you knew only success. Maybe it's a continued oppression. 
Maybe it's persistent negative thoughts about yourself, an unrelenting sin. It's, maybe it's depression, the death of someone that you love, fear of being hurt yet again. Whatever the cause of your despair this morning, we can learn from someone we know only as Haman, the Ezraite. He knows your struggle. He knows it because he felt despair. And he wondered himself, where is God? Our text for this morning, Psalm 88. This is God's Word, and it's our rule for faith and for life. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before You. Let my prayer come before You. Incline Your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws, ne draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am, shut up, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon You, O Lord. I spread out my hands to You. Do You work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise You? Is Your steadfast love declared in the grave or Your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are Your wonders known in the darkness or Your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to You in the morning. My prayer comes before You. O Lord, why do You cast my soul away? Why do You hide Your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer Your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companion has become darkness. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The Word of our Lord, though, it stands forever. Would you pray with me? Our Father, uh, we do ask for Your presence now with us uh, as we look at this uh, fairly heavy text, uh, we pray, Lord, for Your Spirit to be with us. May we uh, even delight in and meditate upon Your Word together, because Your Word says that those who do so, they will be as trees planted by streams of water. So we pray for Your Spirit's work in that way, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, this isn't the way, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It was just after 8 a.m., March 1st, 2000. 
married nearly five years. It was the day that Eliza and I, my wife and I, welcomed our first child into the world, a son. But as the labor had progressed from leap day into the early hours of March 1st, our doctor was concerned about some potential complications. Despite the staff taking all the precautions they could, those potential complications, they became complications at birth. Immediately upon his birth, our first child was whisked away. We, we didn't even have a chance to hold him. For about 20 long minutes, we waited, we prayed, we hoped. Then a doctor walked into the room. He introduced himself as Dr. Patterson, the chief physician of the neonatal intensive care unit in Tallahassee, Florida. After introducing ourselves, he asked us, What's your son's name? His name is Ethan, I said, fearing the worst. Mr. and Mrs. Foster, your son Ethan is a very, very sick boy. They were the first words that the doctor spoke about our son. Your son Ethan is a very, very sick boy. The words were like a sucker punch to my soul. In the fog of the next few minutes, a somber Dr. Patterson explained to us that Ethan had a a life-threatening complication in his lungs. It was during those minutes, while my mind tuned, tuned in and out, I remember thinking, Lord, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Where are you? Over the course of the two weeks that Ethan would spend in the neonatal intensive care unit, I would wrestle with God like no other time in my life. And while it would end well for Ethan, he just turned 21 two weeks ago, uh, I despaired in that time. In my wrestling with God, I lived in the Psalms. Two psalms in particular were helpful to me. Psalm 23 and this psalm, Psalm 88. If you're familiar with the Bible, it's easy enough to understand why Psalm 23 would be such an encouragement. It's a shepherd psalm. Maybe it's not so easy to see why Psalm 88 would actually be an encouragement. Why it would be helpful to me. Uh, In short, though, it taught me how to despair. Students of, the Bible called Psalm, uh, students of the Bible call Psalm 88 a lament psalm. Uh, I like to say that the lament psalms are the blues music of the Bible. The writer cries out to God in lament. The writer cries out to God in grief. But in the world of lament psalms, Psalm 88 is very different. While most lament psalms are characterized by some sort of turn toward hope in the psalm, As you might have noticed, there's no turn toward hope at all 
uh, in Psalm 88. About Psalm 88, one writer has said, it is the gloomiest psalm found in the Scriptures. The psalmist is as deeply in trouble when he has concluded his prayer as when he began it. Another writer has said about Psalm 88, this is the darkest, saddest psalm. It is one wail of sorrow from beginning to end. In fact, uh, one subtlety in the original Hebrew is that the last word is darkness. Haman wants to make it clear that darkness consumes him. Hope seems to have escaped him. He feels little else except despair. Okay, so what do, we, what do we make of this psalm? What do we make of it? What sense can we make of a psalm that is so filled with despair, and if we're honest, probably feels anti-Christian? How do we learn, even as Christians, how do we learn to despair? To answer these questions, let's look at the psalm together. I want to look at it in three appeals. And the first appeal is that of an appeal of demise. We see this in verses 1 through the first part of 9. Verse 1 is easily the most hopeful line in all of the psalm. Verse 1 says, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before You. But as helpful as that verse is, it's then enveloped by images of demise. Look at verses 3-6. through You see all these these images of death. You look in verse 7, there is this image of God's wrath, this statement of God's wrath. Then in verses uh, 8 and the first part of 9, there we see this, the image of, of uh, abandonment. You look at, at Haman's first appeal of demise, and it's easy enough to see why he cries out what he cries out in verse 1. This is a man of constant sorrow. He feels nothing but despair as he records his demise. If there is any hope for him, he, he says it must be in the God who saves, according to verse 1. You know, looking at this first appeal to God, maybe you see why Psalm 88 was helpful to me when my son Ethan was born. You see, it gave me the freedom to wrestle with God in the midst of my despair. Today, Psalm 88, it gives you that same freedom wherever you are. We live in a world that will disappoint us. We live in a world that will hurt us. We live in a world that at times will crush us. The brokenness will wear us down even to the point of despair. Notice the the, uh, text from uh, the quote from James Montgomery Boyce, former pastor in the PCA who has since gone on to be with the Lord. Dr. Boyce says, it is good that we have a psalm like this, but it is also good that we have only one. It reminds us that life is filled with trouble, even to the point of despair, even for mature believers. But it's at such times of weakness and depression, such times when sadness and hurt, when they overcome us, it's in such times that God wants us to come to Him very much honestly, knowing that our relationship with Him isn't based upon uh, how we're doing. 
but instead his relationship with us is based upon Jesus' work on our behalf. This is what the first appeal, this appeal of demise, it teaches us. It teaches us to approach God honestly with our struggles. Today, if you feel despair from life because of a broken relationship or because of bad health or because your voice isn't heard, in your struggles, if you question where is God, Psalm 88 it teaches you as a Christian to take even your despair before the Lord. Not through your own merit, but through the merit of Jesus. In God, you will find one who, who welcomes your weakness and welcomes your despair. Moving on more briefly to, to Haman's second appeal in verses, the second half of verse 9 and through uh, verse 12. There we see an appeal of doubt. We saw an appeal of demise, and now we see an appeal of doubt. And here we see a different sort of prayer. Like that first appeal, images of, of demise are everywhere, but in this second prayer, Haman feels doubt, and, and so he asks a series of rhetorical questions, questions that expect a negative answer. In these verses, Haman is saying something like, Lord, why don't You deliver me? Lord, don't you know that the living don't sing dear refuge of my weary soul in the grave? Don't you know that my unbelieving friends won't hear my testimony of your grace in my life if I'm dead? In my wrestling with the Lord during Ethan's two weeks in the hospital, I remember using these very questions as a model for my own prayer. Lord, how can I teach Ethan that the Lord is his shepherd if you do not spare his life? Lord, can Ethan hear of your steadfast love, a love that does not let go? Can he hear of that love in the grave? Whether it's Haman in his prayers or you and me in our own prayers in this second appeal, we learn to despair by appealing to the love and to the mercy of God. For without His intervention, there is no hope for resolution to our despair. We appeal to God's love and to His mercy. Now, given what we know about lament psalms, it's here in this third appeal that begins in verse 13. In this third appeal, uh, it's here where we would expect the turn toward hope. The sort of turn that characterizes all other lament psalms. We expect the turn here in verse 13 uh, for a couple different reasons. One, uh, because of the conjunction but. I think it was Bill that said earlier, right? That, that when you see the word but, that usually should, should trigger something in you. Uh, hope is about to come. That, that would normally indicate a transition in the text. We also expect the turn toward hope here in verse 13 because the Scriptures normally speak of mourning as, as a time of hope. Uh, verse, uh, or, uh, Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes when? In the morning. Okay? That's the typical construction of a lament psalm. Something like Psalm 30, verse 5, where we see this turn toward hope. 
And so thinking of the despair of verses 1 through 12, we get to verse 13 with a sense of hopefulness, right? But I, O Lord, cry to You in the morning. My prayer comes before You. O Lord, why do You cast my soul away? Why do You hide Your face from me? It's a dramatic moment in the psalm. In verse 14, it's as if the door has been closed and latched. It's as if the coffin has been nailed shut. This third appeal is one of despair. The rest of the psalm would seem to confirm this feeling as Haman essentially repeats what he's already been saying. And as I pointed out earlier, Haman doesn't even offer a ray of hope, it would seem, to close the the psalm. In fact, the opposite appears to be true. You have caused my beloved and my friends, those who love me, you caused them to shun me. So his closest companions have become darkness. A psalm that began in demise and it moved toward doubt. It ends in despair. And in between there appears to be no resolution at all. It's like we're the character Marlowe in Joseph Conrad's The Heart of Darkness, right? We've we've traveled up the Congo River of Psalm 88 only to reach the end and to find the ivory trader Kurtz. The picture of deepest darkness, a man hollow and insane, as Conrad says. That's what it feels like we've just done in this psalm. Well, what do we make of Psalm 88? Even more to the point, what do we make with our own feelings of despair? Let me make three points of application toward that end as we learn to despair, even as Christians. And the first of these three applications I've mentioned already, Psalm 88, uh, it bears repeating, Psalm 88 frees us to struggle before God. It's okay not to have it all together at all times and in all places. It's okay. Before coming to the Lord with our struggles, We need not have conquered that stubborn sin or our depression. We need not have come to peace with hurts like miscarriage or racism or slander that we so often see in our world. We can come to the Lord boldly and honestly with all of our struggles knowing that He isn't out to get us. Instead, there are purposes beyond what we can often see in these struggles. Hear these words from um, Dr. Ian Duguid, a, a Westminster Sem- uh, Seminary Old Testament professor. He says this, God is not committed to our comfort. He is not committed to making our path through life smooth. He is committed to sanctifying us and demonstrating His own glory in and through us. And very often that commitment means He will subject our earthen vessels to pressures that would certainly shatter us were His grace not sufficient for us. 
His wonderful plan for your life is to sanctify you through trials and tribulations. A second point of application from Psalm 88 is as plain as the nose on your face. Dr. Ralph Davis has said, it's often when we feel the most despair that we have the clearest proof that we are the children of God. You see, the only reason that we have Psalm 88 is because Haman bothered to pray at all in his despair. Haman assumes correctly that the Lord hears the prayers of the despairing. And so he perseveres in his prayers. Again, it, often it's when we feel the most despair that we have the clearest proof that we're the children of God. Why is that? Because it's the, it's the children of God who keep going back to the God whose presence that they struggle to feel. It's the children of God who are able to walk by faith in those times of despair. But for those who don't believe, for those who walk by sight and not by faith, in those times they just give up altogether. And so this psalm teaches us to persevere in our prayers, even in our despairs, for this is what the children of God do. They walk by faith, even in times of despair. Then finally, a third point of application is this. While in our despair, we may question, where is God? The Scriptures teach us very clearly that He is with His people forever and always. He is faithful even in times of despair. To see this, I actually want us to look beyond Psalm 88 and look instead to Jesus. Would you believe that Jesus knew the despair of Psalm 88? We're told that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We're told in the Scriptures that He was despised and rejected. People hid their faces from Him. They shunned Him, even His friends. And for a time, even the Father hid His face from Jesus. And at that moment, Jesus cried out in despair, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Or to put it in our words, where is God? Why did this happen to Jesus? It was for you that Jesus was forsaken. Our hope in the midst of our despair is to believe the One who knew the greatest despair. To mend a broken relationship between God and His people, Jesus had to be forsaken. And in that moment, He was left in despair as He endured God's justice for you and for me. The Father did not spare His own Son so that despairing people like Haman, like you, and like me might live. God is faithful. He does not let go of His people even in our despair. Would you pray with me? Our Father in Heaven, we do come to You now 
as children of you who so often experience these, uh, these feelings of despair that Haman the Ezrahite has felt. But we look to You, O Lord. We persevere in our prayers in the midst of our despair. And we look to Jesus, One who Himself knew what it was to be shunned by friends and to feel even forsaken by You, and to cry out, where is God? Holy Spirit, give us grace that we might persevere in the midst of the trials and in the midst of the despair that we feel. Give us grace. Give us Jesus. For we pray in the name of Him who lived and died on our behalf. Amen.